We're going to begin reading in verse 10. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Bible says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For, watch this, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Let's pray together. Father, we pause to give you glory. Again, we are grateful for your presence here in this place. And Lord, we are expectant. We are looking forward to what you are going to speak into our lives today. And I pray that you would move by the power of your spirit, that you would, that you would touch our hearts. God, we want you to change our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us as followers of Christ to, to approach this new year, this coming new year with a new emphasis, to approach it in a new way. Help us to understand what you are resolved to do in 2013. Lord, would you establish my steps in your word? And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Malachi contains probably the last series of messages from God before he would speak to the world through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, uh, and it's found uh, from uh, the prophet Malachi. Uh, the, matter of fact, it says there in verse 1 of chapter 1, it's the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So this is God speaking to his people, his chosen nation of Israel, probably around uh, mid-5th century uh, B.C. And after this message that that for the most part expresses God's displeasure with his people, there would be silence from God until the birth of his son Jesus and the uh, forerunner uh, John the Baptist. And so there are some very important themes that we need to, to think about in this book of uh, Malachi. But I want to show you that in chapter 1, we see what God is all about. We see what God is resolved to do. And so I want to just kind of answer three questions uh, about the Lord and His emphasis in 2013. And then I want to make some application to you and to me uh, based upon that. Here's the first question I want to ask. How do we know what God is resolved to continue to work toward in 2013? What is God 
doing in the world? How do we know what God's doing in the world? What do we, how do we know what's important to God? Well, look there on your notes. God has revealed his plan and purpose to us. That's why we have the Bible, right? Genesis to Revelation, the Bible tells us why we're here. The Bible tells us what went wrong. The Bible tells us how to get right. The Bible tells us what God is doing in the world. God has revealed his plan and purpose to us. That's why we have the Bible. So if we want to know what's important to God in 2013, we go to the Bible. And we see what his plan is, what he is up to, what is unfolding uh, from his hand. And, and here's another way we can know what God has resolved to do in 2013. God does not change. Over in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord says, I'm the Lord, I change not. God is immutable. He is unchanging. And so we see God's plan in the Bible, and we see God's character in the Bible, that God is unchanging. So whatever his plan is in the Bible is still his plan today, right? So we can know what his plan is, what he is resolved to work on or work toward in 2013. So what is God's New Year's resolution? What is it? If you look there in your notes, based upon the scriptures, God's New Year's resolution is for his name to be great among the nations. That's what God is all about. That's what God is working toward, for his name to be great among the nations. Now notice in verse 11 what the Lord says. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations. Now if you notice in this passage, verses 6 through 14, God's name is mentioned Six times. Six times he mentions his name. Look in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. There's one. But you say, how have we despised your name? That's two. Look in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name, that's three, will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, that's four, and a grain offering that is pure for my name, that's five, will be great among the nations. Then look in verse 14. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name, that six, is feared among the nations. Do you see a, a pattern here? Six times we see... That the name of God is mentioned. And, it's, and we say, well, wait, what is the name of God? It's here in the text. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the name that the Lord revealed to Moses at the burning bush. You remember what the Lord said to, to, to Moses? Moses was, was filled with fear and trepidation about going to, to, to Egypt and saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, well, who should I tell them sent me? God says, I am that I am. In other words, tell them that I am sent you. He reveals his name as I am. When you take the, the, the constants from that phrase, it, it is often translated Yahweh. The, 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 the name Yahweh or I am emphasizes that God is the one who is eternal. 
unique, unchangeable, and always actively present with his people. It expressed God's role as Israel's redeemer and covenant Lord. And so that's his name, Yahweh. I am that I am. Not I, I, not I was or not I will be. I am. I am who I am. Who I, who I am is who I've always been, who I always will be. That's his name. And in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we see God's character is revealed in conjunction with his name. So he, he proclaims his name and then tells everybody what his character is. Turn over to Exodus 34. Hold your place there. But turn to Exodus 34. This is the passage where Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. Look what it says in Exodus 34, verse 6. I had a professor in seminary that said, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 are the most important theological verses in the Old Testament. And here's what the Bible says. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, that's his name, Yahweh, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, in abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And so those verses reveal the character of God. He's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and yet those that do not turn to him will be judged. He's a holy God. And so as he proclaims his name, he shares something about his character to Moses and to us. So God's character is revealed in conjunction with his name. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. So here's what we learn from that. God's name represents his character and nature. So over in Malachi, when he says that they will fear my name, they will reverence my name, it speaks of reverencing God himself. To reverence God's name is to reverence God. And here's what we learn in Malachi. God wants everyone everywhere to recognize the worth of his name. The worth of who he is. The worth of his character and his nature. Look what it says in Malachi verse 11 of chapter 1. He says, My name will be great among who? The nations. And in every place incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations. Then the nations are mentioned again in verse 14. God wants everyone everywhere to recognize the worth of his name. That's his New Year's resolution. That's what he's working toward. That's what he's doing in the world. He's working so that everyone everywhere, people from every tribe, every tongue, every, every ethnicity, will recognize the greatness of his name. They will recognize his worth. I like how John Piper says it. He writes, God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of his name. Let's say it again. God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of his name. That's what God is doing in our world. That's what he's resolved to continue to do in 2013 based upon the authority of Scripture. So that's God's New Year's resolution. Now, here's an obvious question that some may ask that may have never heard 
this emphasis before. Somebody asked, well, why is God so passionate about upholding and displaying the glory of his name? Why is it such a big deal to God that he wants his name to be feared among the nations? Well, look what he says in verse 14 of Malachi 1. The, the, the latter part of that verse says, For I am a great king. Why should you worship God? Why should you reverence God? Why should you fear God? Why should you recognize the worth of the name of God? Because, listen, he is great. He's a great king. And, and here's how we need to understand this. If you look there in your notes. God always does the right thing. Can I get an amen? He's righteous. He always does the right thing. And the right thing is for the one who is most worthy to receive all glory and honor. Think about that. The, the, the right thing to happen in the universe is for the one who is worthy of all glory and honor to receive all glory and honor. So let's just say that, that God's goal was to give Wade Humphreys all the glory and honor. That would not be the right thing to do. Because I'm not worthy of all the glory and honor. And God would not do that because he's holy and righteous. He always does the right thing, not the wrong thing, right? So he's working to accomplish the right thing that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is working towards the right thing that, that everyone everywhere, all nations, will recognize the worth of his name. So he's passionate about the glory of his name because that's the right thing to be passionate about, right? What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about what God's passionate about? Do you want to see the right thing happen? God's name receive glory and honor and praise. And so wait, how does this affect our lives? This this New Year's resolution of God, that his name would be great among the nations. Well, let me give you some thoughts here. The fact that God is resolved to make the glory of his name known among the nations should impact our lives in at least three areas. So this, this is how this should affect you in 2013. First of all, it should affect our worship. It should affect our worship. Instead of recognizing God's name is great, we often do the exact opposite. And that's what the Lord is speaking against here in Malachi chapter 1. Look what the Lord says in verse 6. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. So he's speaking to the religious leaders. If I'm the father of my people, if I'm the master of my people, then why aren't you paying me the honor due my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? God, you're saying we despise your name. How have we done that? I don't think we've despised your name. Well, God answers their question in verse 7. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. Spoiled food. Not, not edible for consumption. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? 
And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Look what he says in verse 9. But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. You know what he's saying there? Because you're bringing worthless sacrifices, I wish you would stop having church. I wish you would close the gates and stop going through the sham of worship. Because what you're doing is not worship. Look what he says in verse 10. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord. If the Lord says, I'm not pleased with you, should that get your attention? I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from you. Now skip down to verse 12. But you are profaning it that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say how, my, how tiresome it is. You disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hands, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Here's what he's saying. When you come to offer sacrifices, when you come bringing offerings, you're not bringing your best. You say, I'm going to give him a male from my flock, a male lamb. But when you go out to your flock, you find the sick animal. You find the, the lame animal and bring that to God because it doesn't cost you anything. And you bring that to the altar. And God's saying, you are dishonoring my name. You are not giving me your best. You see, we despise God's name with lukewarm, half-hearted worship. We despise God's name when we do not give God our best. Can, can you imagine how dishonoring it was for God to see these priests going through the motions of worship? Instead of really reverencing His name, they were offering sick, lame animals to God. God's saying, I'm not pleased with you. I'm not pleased with you at all. The fact that I am passionate about my great name should cause you to reflect that in worship by giving your best. Now, here's a good question for us. How does this apply to us? We don't offer animals anymore to the Lord. That was fulfilled. The, the sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ. All of the, the sacrifices, all of the offering of animals pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate offering, Jesus Christ. So when he came and died upon the cross, there's no, there's no need now for, for sacrifices to point to Jesus. He's already come, right? So we don't offer animals. We didn't open the service today by, by bringing a lamb forward. We, we, don't, we don't do that. The lamb of God has been slain for our sins. All of this has been fulfilled. All the shadows have been fulfilled in Christ. So what do we offer to God as new covenant Christians? What do we give to God? How do we worship God through our offerings? Well, 1 Peter 2.5 speaks of spiritual sacrifices. I want to talk to you about some spiritual sacrifices that you and I offer to the Lord. First of all, our bodies. Our bodies. Romans 12.1, Paul writes, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's using the, 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 the altar imagery that in the Old Covenant, a priest would come with, a, with an animal, a lamb, and lay it on the altar. 
Here's what Paul's saying. Instead of laying a lamb on the altar, that's been fulfilled in Christ. I'm calling you to get on the altar. And give God your all. Give God your life. Say, here my God, use me. I heard a story about church passing the offering plate down the, the pews. And there was a little girl and she had no money to give. And so she took the offering plate, put it on the floor and stood in the offering plate. And that's what, that's what Paul's getting at here. Give God yourself. Give God all of your life. That's what he means there. Give God everything. It's a spiritual sacrifice. And so, as you give God your best in 2013, give him every area of your life. Say, God, all that I am, all that I have, it's yours. It's yours. Secondly, what's another spiritual sacrifice we offer to God? Our offerings. Philippians 4, 14-18. Paul mentions the giving of the church in Philippi and how their giving had been a blessing to him. How God had used their giving to supply his needs. He says, I am amply supplied. And then he says, may God supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Speaking there of, of, of our money, our material goods being leveraged for the kingdom. And as we give to the expansion of the kingdom if we as we give to the lord's work we are offering our best to god third another spiritual sacrifice for new covenant christians is our praise turn over to hebrews chapter 13 hebrews chapter 13 look what the writer of hebrews says Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of what? A sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. So he's, he's very specific. He's talking about our, our mouths opening up and articulating praise to God. Articulating thanksgiving to God. One of the ways that we give God our best is by opening our mouths and saying thank you. By opening our mouths and saying, praise the Lord. By opening our mouths and saying, hallelujah. By opening our mouths and saying, God is good. Do you open up your mouth and praise the Lord? Do you give him the best of your life by, by offering a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving that comes from your lips? A sacrifice of praise? That's what corporate worship's all about we get together and we offer god the sacrifice of our lips right a sacrifice of praise we come god with, with, with our praise we want to honor you with our praise we want to give you our best today we want to give you our best then next what's another thing we offer to god as new covenant christians good works look in hebrews 13 verse 16 do not do not neglect doing good and sharing with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God wants us to, to help people that need help. He wants us to offer good works as a sacrifice to Him. And then last, what do we offer to God? We can offer God souls we win for Christ. Turn to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 16. Romans 15, verse 16. 
Paul says, back up to verse 15, Romans 15, verse 15. Paul says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, here's, here's something I'm offering to God. I'm preaching Jesus. Gentiles are getting saved by the grace of God. And I'm coming to God, not empty-handed, I'm coming to God with souls that have been won because I preach the gospel to them. Of course, only God can save someone, right? But God works through means, and, and God works through our proclamation of the gospel. Paul's saying, I don't come to God empty-handed. I'm, I'm bringing to God people that I've seen saved. So one of the offerings that we can offer to God is souls we win for Christ. We can give God our best by sharing the gospel and seeing people give their lives to Jesus. So, are you giving God your best? Are you giving God your best? Is He getting the best part of your life? The best of your, of your daily life, the best of your offerings, the best of your praise, the best of your good works, the best by winning souls for Christ. Now, if you turn back to Malachi, I want to show you something very interesting. The offering of our gifts should be commensurate with the dignity of the office. Look what the Lord says to them over in Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. This is really striking. Malachi 1, verse 8. He says, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And you don't give your best. And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying? He said, you wouldn't give your governor a sick, lame animal. Why would you give it to God? The, 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 the offering of our gifts should be commensurate with the dignity of the office. There, listen, there is none higher than the king of kings, right? I mean, he's the God of the universe. And so our offerings should be commensurate with who he is. We shouldn't offer God something that we wouldn't offer the president or the governor or someone of high rank and standing. The offering of our gifts should be commensurate with the dignity of the office. And God is the highest office in the universe. So let me ask you this question. If a day is coming, and Malachi says it is, if a day is coming when all will recognize the greatness of his name, should we not recognize the greatness of his name now in our worship? Should it not affect the way we worship, praise, and, and, and present offerings to God? It ought to. I mean, if that's what God is all about, if that's important to the heart of God, shouldn't it be important to us? So now, corporate worship is not just, I show up and go through the motions. Corporate worship is, Lord, you want your name to be honored and reverenced. That's why I'm here. Your Monday is not about you going through the motions and trying to make it to the weekend. Your Monday is about, Lord... You want your name to be honored? You want your name to be feared? May that happen in my life today. It affects your worship. Secondly, it affects our witness. It affects our witness. There back in Malachi 1, verse 11, 
The Lord says, for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And so Lord, the Lord is concerned that his greatness not just be confined to his chosen nation of Israel. They were his chosen nation for the purpose of making his name known to other nations. That was their role. And that's the role of the church today. Over in 1 Peter 2, it says that we are a, a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. That we should proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So our role as a church is to make God's name known to the nations. You see, God deserves glory from every people group on the earth. And he is always working to that end. God deserves glory from every people group on the earth. Every ethnicity, every language, every tribe, every background. And he's always working to that end. And his goal and passion should be our goal and passion. Listen to me. What's most important to God is that his name be worshipped and reverenced among all the peoples of the earth. Amen? You see that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. It's not preacher talk. That's the Bible. Now how is it that many of us could care less about what's most important to God? care less about the over 2 billion people that have never even heard the name of Jesus. Care less about the over 4 billion people that are lost and separated from God and headed for an eternity in that awful place called hell. How could we not care about that? God's name is not being honored among the nations right now. He's working to that end and we, we should want to work to that end as well. His goal and passion should be our goal and passion. We should want to see every people worship the one who is the only one who is worthy of worship. I remember went on a short term trip to to southern Uganda. We were doing some training of pastors among the Fumbira people in Kosoro and uh, I remember one afternoon we were teaching and, and Joey uh, was teaching uh, about worship. And he mentioned in his teaching the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Kind of just mentioned it in passing. And when he mentioned that, Pastor George stood up and said, Whoa, whoa, we know that song. And they began to sing this beautiful African harmony. They began to sing, It Is Well With My Soul in their language. And I knew what they were saying because it was the same tune, so I could sing with them in my language. So here we were, in Kasori, Uganda, singing It Is Well With My Soul, different languages, but we both knew that we were singing to the one true God. And it was a powerful experience. And listen, that's God's heart. That people from every language, every nation be united in the worship and praise of King Jesus. That's what God What's does he happen in an ever-increasing way? So that's what we should be about as individuals, as families, as churches. That's what we should be about. And so this idea that God is resolved to make his name great among the nations affects our worship, it affects our witness, but third and last, it affects our worldview. The way we see life. Look what it says in Malachi 1 verse 14. It 
The Lord says, but cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. Now watch this. My name is feared or to be feared among the nations. My name is revered among the nations. God, listen to me, God is not just looking for lip service. Say, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. God is looking for people that fear his name. That pay him the proper respect and reverence. Say, wait, what does it mean to fear his name? Well, there's a clue in chapter 2, verse 5. Look in chapter 2, verse 5. He's talking about his covenant with the priesthood of Levi. He says there, My covenant with him was one of life and of peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered, he feared me, and stood in awe of my name. So to fear God means that you stand in awe of who God is. That you pay him the proper respect and show him the proper reverence. And, and what he's talking about with Levi, he wants to happen among all the nations. That all the nations would fear his name. They would stand in awe of his name. Listen to me. God doesn't want you just to come to church. God wants you to stand in awe of him. Amen? And there's a big difference. There's a, there's a huge difference there. God is after your reverence, your respect, your fear, your awe. This means that as God is revered and worshipped, it affects every area of your life. You see, the fear of the Lord shapes how you see all of life. It affects your worldview. So how do you know that? Well, over in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Write that down, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you take a person that fears the Lord, and take a person that does not fear the Lord, listen to me, their way of looking at life will be totally different. Right? If you have two people sitting in a movie theater, and one fears the Lord and one does not, when someone uses the Lord's name in vain during the movie, the one that fears the Lord will cringe. The one that does not fear the Lord will think nothing of it. No big deal. Right? There, there's a, the way you look at life is totally different when you fear the Lord. I love this quote from F.B. Meyer. He writes, When God is treated as the great king, the whole life falls into symmetry and order and becomes a prolonged yea to truth, a, prolonged, a profound nay to falsehood and error. When you treat God as the great king that he is, when you have fear for him and you reverence him, you stand in awe of him, it, it helps your whole life to fall into order. Because you see life as it ought to be viewed. The day is coming when, when all nations will fear him by offering him the proper respect and worship. And the fear of the Lord should characterize his people and direct their lives today. Listen to me. If God is working in the world, if God's going to continue to work in 2013 so that people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue would fear his name, Shouldn't we that know him fear his name today? 
shouldn't our new year be focused on standing in awe of Him? And so, as you think about New Year's resolutions, and it's, it's natural to think about a new year and a new start and all of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But beware if every one of your resolutions begins with I. And you're not thinking any about what's important to God. A better way to do it is, okay, here's what's important to God. Now, how am I going to order my life around worshiping Him and being a witness for Him and letting Him shape my worldview the way I see life? The way I live my life. And I believe that if we'll all approach 2013 like that, 2013 will be a year in which we can greatly honor the great king. God's New Year's resolution, based upon the authority of Scripture, is to continue to work in this world to make his name great among the nations.